Well, good morning. It is great to be with everybody this morning. I am excited to be here. Uh, I got some energy in me, so I'm hoping that we're just going to have a great morning uh, just being in God's Word. Um, Before we really dive into God's Word, though, does anybody still have, like, old photo albums? I mean, we're entering into a digital age where everything is going like on computers and on phones and everything like that. Do you still have like your old photo albums of like your kids when they were young or yourself when you were young? Um, I was able to see a picture of Heather when she was five years old. Heather's my wife, if you're uh, not familiar with that. When she was five years old and my heart melted. It was like, oh my goodness, she is so cute. Like, little, there was a little orneriness in there. I can talk about her. She's having to work today, but uh, so she'll find out about this later. But uh, anyways, it was just like, man, like to be transparent, I don't want girls for children. No offense to women in the area, but uh, I, I've just always had my heart set on having boys. But I also thought maybe that's because if we had girls, they would look like me. Like just long hair, come out with a beard and long hair, and that's how a girl would look if we had a girl. And then I saw Heather as a five-year-old, and it's like, okay, Heather, we can have girls now. Like, if they, if they come out looking like you, then that's going to be great. If they look like me, then... <laughs> if they look like me, I won't have to worry about the boy problem ever. <laughs> so... <laughs> But anyway, so we looked at those, or I saw that, and it was like, oh, man. And then she was like, have you never looked at my baby albums? And I was like, no, didn't even know you really had them. And then I was like, I don't even think you've ever looked at mine. And we just haven't looked at them because what we look at is what's on our phones. And so kind of interesting tidbit, it was exactly a year ago today that Heather and I went down to my very first Texas Longhorn football game in Texas at Austin. And I had talked about a bidet a couple weeks ago or a month ago and like how I thought it was a seat warmer and that thing bulleted water out of there. I have video evidence of this exactly a year ago today. So Pete, if you want to show us just the ferociousness of that bidet. We're in this house in Austin. Apparently there's audio. And in the bathroom. It's not a seat warmer. It looks like it has a heated seat until you turn it on. Look at that bullet. I'm telling you, that's going to do some damage if you sit down and think that's a seat warmer and kick it on while you're sitting there. It'll also wake you up in the middle of the morning. It's like, I'm tired. Not anymore. So anyways, that's one. Uh, Luke, I'm sorry, but this next one, we'll go back to two years ago. Hook em horns. Luke Gray, yes, he is wearing a Texas Longhorn shirt. I know he's not looking very happy in that picture. He was thrilled to be wearing that thing. That was because his beloved Oklahoma Sooners lost to my Texas Longhorns two years ago in the Red River shootout. Haven't won a game since. I think I got a little too hot-headed about it. But uh, anyways, and then I just found a couple other photos as I was looking through everything thing. We got one. That's my uh, family when I was young. I don't look like that anymore. Um, My mom, my dad, my brother actually had hair and it was curly at one point and now he doesn't have hair. And uh, so I still have hair. Thankfully it's going gray. Anyways, next photo, Uh, a little bit younger. Um, That's me probably 11 years old. Um, Definitely in the nineties. My dad actually has hair like that's pretty cool. And then the last one, is that is me and my mom's mom and my brother. And so we, I, we didn't play football even. We just played the part 
and felt like we were professional football players. But so that's some of what I used to look like, what my brother used to look like. And obviously we don't look the same anymore. I I hope I don't look like that little, I might act like that little kid sometimes, but I don't look like him anymore at least. So, uh, you know, going back through photos like that, looking through photo albums, it's enjoyable to do. You know, opening them up, seeing where you used to be, seeing what things used to look like, how things have changed. I mean, you can tell that fashion is not the same as it was in the early 90s, even in the early 2000s. We have developed in our fashion sense a Photo um, quality has improved like crazy. I mean, the new iPhone 12 is saying to have amazing picture capability that you used to have to carry this honking uh, camera around. So looking back, you can see the progress, the change, the growth that has happened. And it's a good thing to look back where you came from. It's a good thing to look back in history and kind of see where you have come from. And hopefully what you see is growth. Hopefully you see development. Hopefully you see change. Hopefully you don't see the same person dressing the same way, acting the same way, behaving, being the same person. Paul, he tells us in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he tells us, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do. He says, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's kind of telling us he doesn't look at the past to see like, to take pride in it, or even to really look at the past and to see the downfalls and to live in the past. So when we look at the past, we should never live in the past. But instead, when we look at the past, we should learn from it and grow in the future. And that's actually what a what George Santayana said. He said, though, he's the one credited with it. Those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. So we have to look at our past and see some downfalls and grow from them. We have to look at our past and see where we used to be and grow from that. But we don't live in those moments. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going through the Bible. We've been looking in Genesis. We started at creation. We worked our way through the original sin, the fall of man. We saw the flood. We had the Tower of Babel. And now we are starting to see where God is about to redeem everything. He's going to start his redemption process. Because the first like 11 chapters of the Bible is like chaos and disorder growing and growing. Like God creates everything and it's good. It's beautiful. And then man sins and it is just a downhill slide from there. Man sins, gets kicked out of the garden. And then you see man commits murder. And then you see the whole world is so uh, evil that God says, I regret even making man. That I'm just going to wipe them all out except for this family of eight. And I'm going to let them live and start over through them. And then even after they uh, survived the flood, you have the Tower of Babel where man was told, go, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And man was like, nah, we want to come together because we don't want to spread out. We want to build this nation for ourselves. We want to build a name for ourselves. It's about us still. And it's just continually uh, just sin and evil and wickedness growing. And now we're about to see a change where God is about to call one man in which he's about to make a promise to this man that, hey, through you, 
things are going to be different. Through you, I'm going to change everything. And so we're 292 years after the flood. We are eight generations removed from Noah's son, Shem. And we have this man named Terah. And he has three children. He has Nahor, Haran, and Abram, the character of our story today. And so what happens is Nahor and Haran and Abram, they're living in this land called Ur, and um, Haran ends up dying. And so Abram kind of adopts Haran's son, Lot, and brings him under his own wings. And so then we see that, I mean, I assume that probably hurt uh, Terah, I'm going to get totally confused on names today. I'm just going to be honest. So I'm going to call Abram, Abraham multiple times. They're the same person. He's just not called Abraham yet. So I'm sorry if I mess up names or if I pause so that I can get my thoughts on the right name. But so Terah loses his son Haran and he's like, you know what? Let's go. Let's move away. And so he takes Nahor and Abram with him. And Abram takes his wife, Sarah or Sarai. And we are told she is Barren. She cannot have children, which is going to be an important part again, because this is Abram's wife. And so we're going to be in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 9. And if you'll stand as we just read our passage this morning, and then we'll open in prayer, and then we'll really dive into what God's word has to say. So it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. If you'll join me as we open in prayer. Father God, you are so good. God, we just thank you for another opportunity to come together, open your word, and God, to publicly read it for the hearing of all. And so, God, now as we dive into what your word has to say to us today, God, I ask, just use me. God, use me to be the vessel in which your word and your truth is proclaimed. And God, open our hearts to receive that truth, to be transformed by that truth. God, to not stick in the past, but to continually grow for what it is that you are calling us to be. So God, we need you here and now. So be with us and speak to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so there's two things that we're going to see in Abram's life. The first one is that when God called Abram, God called Abram out of something. 
God called Abram out of a life of paganism, out of a life of sin, out of a life of living for himself, and God called him into something new. God called him into a life of promise, a life of blessing, a life of a future. And so we're going to dive into this. So first off, what we see in verse 1 through 3 is that God makes a call to Abram. He calls him and says, I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your land and go to this place that I am calling you. So he calls Abram, which we haven't really heard of Abram up until this point. Who is Abram? What is the backstory of Abram really? We know that according to Joshua 24.2, we know that Abram's father worshipped other gods. It says, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And so Abram is not like really being grown up in this typical Christian home where they're worshiping God, living for him. And then God is like, hey, Abram, you've been living this great life for me. So I'm going to call you to something even greater because you have it all figured out. That's not how it worked with Abram. A lot of times we put these Bible characters on a pedestal of like, man, they were really something. If I could aspire to be like that, if I could be as great as them, then I would be able to do something great. But we see that Abram wasn't even that great. He came from a family of idol worshipers. The Midrash, which this is the Jewish tradition, it's not scripture, but it's kind of how the Jews pass along their tradition. They say that not only did Terah worship other gods, but he actually sold these gods. He had God little shacks in which he sold them. And Abraham on multiple times tried convincing people after he gave his life over to God not to serve them, not to buy them. Because he's like, these things just got made today. Like, they're not really a God. Why would you follow them? But at some point, Abram probably was in the work of what his father did, because that's how they did things back then. You followed in the footsteps of your father. And so Abram is living in Ur, and he gets this call from God. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 4, Stephen's about to be stoned, and he he talks to the, the Pharisees and the people of that day, and he says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. And so God calls Abraham before we even get our text today. The Midrash again kind of says that Abraham was called at the age of 40. So for 39 years, he was not walking with God. He was serving these other gods, but he's commanded by God. He gets this promise in verse 12 or chapter 12, verse one through three to go leave your father's country, leave your father's house, leave your kindred and go into this land that I command you. And he gets that while he's in Haran. But he was told before to do those things according to Acts chapter 7. And so he wasn't even fully obedient. Because notice, look at these commands again. First off, he was told, leave your country. He didn't even do that immediately. 
According to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 through 32, it says, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans. So Abram was already called while he was in Ur. They went from that land to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so he was told, hey, go to this land that I'm telling you, and Abram goes only so far. And then God tells him, hey, leave your father's house. Leave your father, go away from him, and go into this land. But he goes with his father. And then he was told, leave your kindred, but he brings Lot alongside of him. So even Abram is not fully committing, it seems, to this life with God. God is calling him out of living for himself, but there's still this battle where he wants to live among his father and he wants to not fully follow because, I mean, let's face it, we're this way. God calls us somewhere and it's like, God, can you show me the answers first? God, can I know how this is going to work out before? Okay, God, I'll take a baby step. And God's like, I don't want you to take a baby step. I want you to plunge in with me. And it's like, I can't do that, God. I'm just going to, you know, go a little bit. I'm not fully going to follow you, God, because what if this doesn't work out? What if I get to Canaan and I get beat up and then I have to come back? So I'm only going to go halfway, spy it out, kind of see how things are going. I want commitments. I want uh, guarantees before I commit. But God is calling us out of that. And according to the Midrash again, Abraham even helped his father sell, sell little g gods. And I read one story that I thought was comical. So Abram's father, Terah, goes away. So Abram is in charge of the idol shop and he cannot have it that his dad is selling false gods anymore. And so he takes an ax and he just starts chopping down every single false god that his dad has except for the biggest one. And he puts the ax in the biggest one's hand. So Terah comes back home, sees what happens and is like, what in the world did you do? And so then Abraham was like, well, you see, this woman came in to give an offering. All the gods started fighting over it. They were like, hey, it's mine, it's mine. No, the biggest one, he's the dominant God. He took them all down, chopped them all. He's the one that remains. And he caught his dad because Terah was like, that can't happen. They're not alive. And Abraham's like, gotcha. They're not alive. Why are we worshiping them? thought that was comical. That might not have much to do with our, with our story today, but it was funny. And the Midrash has backstories on it. But still, we see Abram was living in this lifestyle. He was being called out of it. And he responded in faith. Abraham is called the father of our faith. But again, notice, what is so special about Abraham at this moment? What is so special about his life? Not a lot. It's not that he's parted the Red Sea and walked through it. It's not that he has performed amazing miracles. It's not that he is following God so amazing right now. There's not really anything special. Really, we see that he probably was serving false gods. He was living for himself. He was focused on how can I better my life. Same with us. What is so special about us that God would choose to save us? Nothing. I don't care who you are. It's nothing special in us. 
But yet God calls us. He says, actually, you were dead in Romans 5, 8. He says, Christ came to die while we were still sinners. While we were still opposed to God, Jesus came while we were still defiled, filthy, worthless. He's not like, hey, get your life together. Hey, come on, you got to solve X, Y, Z before you come to me. But he says, I'm calling you out of this life. Yes, it's the way you are. Now step out of it. Look back at how you used to live and look forward to what I am calling you to. God is calling us out of a life of paganism, which is true for us. And paganism is this. This is my definition of paganism. A pagan is someone who does not follow the true God. You're following yourself. You're, you're serving yourself, the God of pride, the God of Andy, the God of yourself. You are following that person. You believe that you're the God of your own life. Paganism is anti-Christianity because it is against God. Paganism is I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Pagan is living for the world, not living for God. And God calls us out of that. We're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, and then also in verse 20, 21, and then verse 23. This is what we're told. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So, excuse me, if you are not a servant of God, you are living as a slave of sin. We all know what that's like. It's the slave of instant gratification. I want it now. My body desires it, so I'm going to give in to it. I want that next drink. I want that next hit. I want that next woman or man. I want that next whatever it is. I want that next release. Give it to me now. I'm a slave to that. I'm going to live according to what that tells me. So when you live according to that life, we're told it leads to death. Verse 20 of chapter 6. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And so it's like, hey, yeah, I used to be free. We went through a series on this in Galatians where it's like when I am living for myself, I don't have to worry about what God tells me. Like I get to do whatever I want. I'm free is what we think. Like, I don't want the restrictions of the Bible. I don't want to, you know, live that way because it's burdensome. It's a false conception of the Bible. But we feel like we're free until that next desire comes on us. And then we realize we're not free. It's like, I don't want to do that, but I know that I have to. I, my body wants it. I need to do it. All right, I did it. And then it's like, why did I do that? Why am I a slave to this? Because you are a slave to something always. It's either sin, which leads to death, or it's Christ, which leads to life. Because then we're told in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. It's a physical death. We see that, that everybody ever living pretty much has died. It's a spiritual death, meaning that we are not in relationship with Christ the way we should be. And it is death on so many other levels when we lose relationships with one another because we cheated on our spouse because of this computer screen or this other woman that we allowed ourselves to be pulled towards. Or we uh, went bankrupt because we spent all our money on drinks and drugs and a, a fun, wild life, which never really leads to true fun and true 
true joy, those are lies. And they always lead to death on three different levels. You get a spiritual death, you get a physical death of like, my body will be dead forever. But you also have a physical death in that moment. A relationship death or whatever. You experience death all the time. First Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then notice what he says next. And such were some of you, but you are washed. And it's like, yes, none of those are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But I'm also going to say, neither is the person who puts all their effort in being a morally good person, going away from Jesus and relying on yourself. They're not going to make it to heaven. Neither is the self-righteous Pharisee that thinks they can be good enough to make it to heaven. Neither is the person that comes here every day thinking, hey, I'm in church, this is what matters, and never living for God beyond that. Putting, putting total um, dependence on yourself. They're not going to make it either. And such were some of you is what Paul says. Such were some of you, but he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You're not that anymore. You might have been, but you're not living there. You're saying, I was an adulterer, I was a drunkard, I was all these things, but Christ called me out of it. So I am not those things anymore. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 8, he says, for at one time... You were darkness. There was a time in everybody's life where we said, God, I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to live in darkness. I'm not going to listen to you. We lived in that pagan lifestyle. But there's great news that God calls us out of that. The same way he called Abram out of it. Because again, there is nothing special about Abram. But yet God chose him to come and be the recipient of God's grace. God chose him and said, out of you, I want to start a movement. Out of you, I want to change the course of history. Verse 1 through 3 of Genesis 12. It says, yeah, let me find it. It says it somewhere in Genesis 12. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God placed the call on Abram. And we're told that Abram responded through faith. And that is what saved Abram. His faith in God, you say this, I'm going to respond in obedience. I trust that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 9, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to the land in, of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
And so God promised Abraham blessings and promises. He promised him land. He said, go to this land that I will show you. He promised him a great name. He said, I will make you a great nation. Or he said, I will make your name great. He promised him a great nation saying, I will make you a great nation. He promised him that he will be a blessing. He said that you will be a blessing. And then he promised, if people bless you, I will bless them. If people curse you, I will curse them. And then he said, through you, all nations are going to be blessed. Through you, I am going to send this seed that is going to redeem all nations. And we see that is accomplished in the sacrifice of Jesus. So again, what did Abraham do to receive these blessings? He responded in faith. God called him and he said, I'm going to follow in faith. That's all he did was he responded in faith. God said, this is what I want you to do. Abraham said, I trust you. I'm going to go. Even if it was the delayed obedience in that, hey, he only made it to Haran. And then God was like, hey, I want you to go to the promised land. He still responded in faith. He still said, all right, God, I'm going to follow you. And then God said, all right, go, go all the way to Canaan. And he went. God was going to do the rest. All Abraham had to do was respond in faith. Because notice in verse two through three of Genesis chapter 12, it says, I will make you a great nation. This is God speaking. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram, just go and be obedient to me and watch what I will do. Notice in Exodus, when Moses is called by God through the burning bush, Moses has so many excuses. God, you're calling me, but I'm not good at speaking. God, they might not know who it is that is really sending me. God, how will I know it's possible? And every time God responds with, it's about me. Just be obedient. Just respond to what I'm calling you to do. And it's about me. Watch how I act. Watch how I fulfill everything I say to you. The same is true for us today. God calls us today. He's calling you out of a life of darkness and sin into a new life with him. And it's like, well, God, what all do I have to do? Respond in faith that God, what you're saying is true. That God, you really do love me. You really do have what's good for me in store. God, you really are who you say you are and you really are going to do what you say you will do. I just have to trust you. I just have to take those steps of faith and say, God, I'm following you. I'm gonna trust you one more step. I'm gonna trust you one more step. Follow in faith. That is what we are called to do. And then God says, if you respond in faith, I will give you a blessing. All right, I'm going to make a lot of money if I follow God. That's not the blessing. We're actually told that money is like worthless. Like we're told that what God has to give us is far more precious than jewelry and silver, than gold and silver. What God has to offer us is a relationship with him. Entering into eternal life 
so that we don't have to experience death spiritually. We don't have to experience death physically. We don't have to experience death relationally. But instead that God came, he sent Jesus to redeem everything back for him. And so we don't have to worry about that. Romans 6 verse 17 Excuse me. Romans 6, verse 17 through 19, it said, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And then verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 11, it said, and some, and were such, and such were some of you living in that way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And then verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. That price that you were bought with was the blood of Jesus. He gave his life for you so that you did not have to live and be a slave to sin. So that you didn't any longer have to wake up the next morning regretting the decisions that you made the night before. But so that you can live for a higher calling. So that you can live for God and have a purpose and have a blessing, and have a life glorifying to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. So those identities that you were told before, you're a drunkard, you're an you're a adulterer, you're an addict, you're a druggie, you're a liar, you're a cheater, you're a slanderer, whatever people are trying to say, well, this is who you were before, we don't live in the past. But instead, we learn from it and we strive forward to what God is calling us. And he gives us a new name. He says, you are a new creation. So I don't care what you've done or who you are. You can be made new in Jesus Christ. That is the wonderful news of Jesus. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had it all figured out. He loves you that much. I'm trying to make a change where we don't say come or God loves you as you are because yes, God loves you as you are, but God loves you despite who you are. And he wants to change you for the better if you'll just respond in faith. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Acts twenty-eight sixteen. Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's our prayer is that your eyes are open to the darkness that you're living in and you say, I want to receive the new life that Christ calls me to. Because again, Romans 13, 13 through 14, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He, being Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's not dependent on us. All those things are not about who we are, but about who God is and the call that he is placing on us. And that call is respond in faith. Trust me. And then live a life of obedience out of that. But again, we all want guarantees. It's like, okay, God, I really want to trust you. Can you just kind of show me that it's you first? I mean, like we see even in the life of Gideon. Hey, God, you had this angel show up to me while I was in hiding, and he called me a mighty warrior, which I'm not. I'm hiding, and he says that I'm going to lead your people in this battle. And God, can you give me some proof? So, God, give me a guarantee. Let me throw out some fleece, have all the ground be wet, but the fleece be dry. He woke up the next morning, the ground was soaked, the fleece was dry. There's your guarantee. And he's like, not good enough, God. How about we switch that role? Because it might be crazy. A cow might have laid on it or something. I don't know. But it's like, let's switch that role. All right, God, make the fleece soaking wet and the ground around it dry. Woke up the next morning. It's just like that. And I always heard that and was like, sweet. I need to pray like super specific prayers. I need to be like, hey, God, how about you uh, do this? And then when he does it, I test him one more time. Gideon did it because he was afraid. Gideon did it because he was not willing to totally walk out in faith. We do that all the time. Where it's like, God, I know clearly you're calling me to do this. I don't want to. So how about you prove it to me first? And it's like, no. Respond in faith. We want guarantees. Taking risks is a scary thing, especially for people who don't like to fail. And so that's how we are with faith. It's like, all right, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) We're not done yet. (coughs) Sorry. It's like, all right, God, I know you're calling me. Like your word says that. I trust that. But God, I don't trust it. Can you show me? Can you show me first that this is true, that this is going to work out? God's word tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not yet seen. But faith is also taking God at his word. God, you're calling me. I'm going to respond. God, you're telling me to go, I'm going to go. God, it scares me, but I'm going to go. Because as much as I fear this, I have faith in you. My faith is bigger than the fear that I have. And so the thing that we must realize is that God is faithful. He is true to his word all the time. God promised these things. God said, hey, Abraham, or Abram, go. I'm going to show you this land. Leave and go. And Abram was like, okay, you're telling me. And God was like, I would promise you, I would swear an oath, but I can't. Because I can't swear by anything bigger than me. Because I'm a God of my word. 
that I don't have to swear because I am a God of my word. That's my nature. Hebrews 6 expands on this. It says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and on all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so God called him and he said, I will do this. God is calling you. And he's saying, respond in faith. But God, how can we know? Because God said it. And we can trust God at his word. And so the cross, when we want assurance, because God did give us assurance. God, how do I know that you died for me while I was still a sinner? Look to the cross. That was almost 2,000 years ago. I was not alive. And yet he gave his life for even me. He gave his life for even you. He gave his life knowing the life that you were going to live. It's not like Jesus gave his life and then you were born and then you said that first cuss word, you drank that first drink, you uh, smoked that first smoke, you cheated that first cheat, and God was like, oh, I didn't know they were going to do that. Well, let's take it back. God doesn't work that way. He said, I know how they're going to be. I know the sins they're going to commit. I know the lives they're going to live. I'm going to die for them anyways. Because I love them and I want to make every way possible for them to have relationship with me. So the cross is a sign that God is faithful to his word. But more than the cross, the empty grave. It's proof that God received that payment. Jesus is not still dead. God raised him from the dead, meaning that the sacrifice was received, that God is faithful to his promise. And so God has called us out of darkness into light through the blood of Jesus, not by our works, but by the work of Jesus. And so Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, this is how I believe it is to you today. This is what God is saying to you today. He's saying, go from your sinful life and your idols and your family to a life that I want to give you. And I will make you a part of a great kingdom. This is the kingdom of God in which it will never be conquered and I will bless you, and I will place my name on you. I'm not going to give you a great name other than the name of Jesus. That is the only name you're going to be able to boast in. So that you may be a blessing to me. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in you, I give this great mission. Uh, Through you, all the nations can be blessed because of the life that you're going to live for me. That is now the call that I place on your life. You're being called out of darkness into life. And then he's saying, now go and share this message with everyone else. 
Second Corinthians 5.20 says that we have the message of reconciliation. That we have the message of bringing the, the world to God. That like there's this chasm between the world. And God could have used rocks. God could have used dogs. They're pretty obedient. But instead, God used sinful, broken people. And he said, through you, I want to bring reconciliation to the world. Now go. I'm not calling you to just come and sit in a pew and say, sweet, I'm a Christian. I'm calling you to respond in faith and now go and share what has been done in your life. That should be your greatest testimony. Boy, do you know who I used to be before Jesus? I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to masturbation. I was addicted to cussing. I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to all these things. And then Jesus rocked my world and gave me this new life. And that's where I'm at now. He wants to do the same for you. Everybody's like, man, like telling people about Jesus is hard. Not if you truly know who Jesus is and what he has done in your life, which is a wake up call to me. Because I'm the one that's like, man, it's really hard. But it's like, do you not believe what Jesus did? That now I wake up and it's like, glory be to God, hallelujah. It's another day that I get to live for Jesus instead of, oh gosh, the burdens of the world are too much for me. Maybe today's not the day I should make it. Maybe I should end it today. And God's like, no, don't do that. Hold fast. I called you out of that life. I called you into a new life for me. We're going long. I'm excited about this, people. God has called us into a new life. And it's all through Jesus. There is not a single person in here that could say, it's because of me. And if you are, you're a liar. It's not because of you. In John chapter 5, we see that John has this vision. He's taken up into heaven and he's, or not John chapter five, sorry, Revelation chapter five. John is taken up to heaven and he sees a scroll with seven seals on it. And then he is asked, who is worthy to open the scroll? And we see in Revelation five, verse four, John begins to weep and not just little man tears, but like sobbing loudly. It says, I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. He said, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as, as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of full, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so John's like, who is going to do this? We could be like, who? Paul said it in Romans chapter seven. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who is gonna save me from this sinful life? We can ask that. Who? I can't, you can't, nobody can, but thanks be to God, there is a slain lamb who rose from the grave so that we can be set free. That is Jesus. 
And so then they sang a new song. John went from weeping to now a new song is being sang. And it is, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. That's God being faithful to his promise. In Genesis 12, God told Abram, go, and through you I'm going to bless every nation. And here at the end of the Bible, we see that coming to fruition, that because of what Jesus did, you don't have to be a Jew. You can be all, you could have been all these things, and God calls you out of that life. But don't live in them. A three-year-old can throw a temper tantrum, and sometimes it's cute. A 33-year-old throwing a temper tantrum is never cute. We have to grow out of that lifestyle. And God is saying, hey, I called you out of this. Don't stay in that. But now grow as you walk in obedience to me. And so we see in verse 7 that as Abram goes, he arrives in Canaan. And what does God do? He reminds Abraham of his promise. He says, hey, remember that I'm faithful. I promised this to you, and I still promise it to you. He said in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abraham, I am still faithful. Even though you delayed, I'm still faithful. Christians, God is still faithful. Even if you fell short this week, even if you're like, man, I really didn't want to look at that image, but I did. God is still faithful. Even if you're like, man, I really didn't want to lie or, you know, I, I cheated or whatever. Repent. God is still faithful. He's always going to be faithful. But notice how Abraham responded to this. And at the end of verse 7, it says, He built an altar to the Lord. He praised God. He worshiped God because God, you are worthy. You are faithful. That is how we respond. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, we have an altar as well, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And there was a sacrifice laid on that altar, and it is Jesus. And so Ephesians 5, 2 tells us that we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we worship God by loving others. And then Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's how we respond. And then Hebrews 13, 5 tells us through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That is how we respond. When we remember, God, you are faithful. When we take that communion and we remember, God, you gave your body and your blood for me so that I could be in relation with you, I'm going to praise you and worship you. Not just for this little minute, but God, I'm going to let my life be a sacrifice to you. I'm going to die to myself daily, and I'm going to die to my sin and my hatred and my bitterness and my addiction. And instead, God, I'm going to live in this new life that you are calling me to. And so if you are still living in that darkness, 
If you have not received the call of God, he wants what's good for you. He is for you. He gave his life so that you could find this new life. Again, regardless of what you've done. I don't care if you've been like, I've been playing this Christian game for so long and you come forward and you say, actually, I've been living a homophobic lifestyle. Not a homophobic, homosexual lifestyle. I've been blatantly living against God and I want to repent of that. Jesus died for you. I don't care if you say, you know what? I've been struggling with the flesh. And so actually last night I got wasted and high. Jesus died for that. Jesus died for every single one of our sins. So don't make an excuse of he didn't die for me in that because he did. Don't make an excuse of, well, he would not include me. He welcomes you. He is opening his arms and saying, come to me. You just have to respond in faith. And then what he says is, I'm going to call you into this new life. A life where you get to live for me. And I'll tell you, you get to wake up with a smile on your face. You get to even go through the difficult times and be like, all right, God, I have no idea how this is going to work out, but I trust you. So I somehow have a joy in this hardship even. He's calling you out of a life of darkness into a life new. So if you have not received that, as, as Paul said uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he ends up saying, I beg you, be reconciled to God. That's my prayer for you right now. Stop living in darkness. Stop making excuses as to why God would not accept you. Look to the cross. He died for that. And then if you are a Christian and you are like, hey, I'm, I'm walking in this new life. I've responded in faith. I'm living for him. Praise God. Now find somebody who isn't and walk with the message of reconciliation to them. Bring them along with you. Share where you've been and where it is that God has called you. Use that as your testimony and then excel all the more. Keep living for Christ. Keep living a life of worship for him every day. Because I'll be honest, tomorrow is going to have temptations. Today is going to have temptations. You're going to walk out these doors. You're going to get in your car, start backing up. Somebody else is backing up and they take the right away and gun it off. And you're going to have a thought in your head. And you're going to be like, boy, stop. And just be like, praise God, we're both alive. Praise God, they were at church. I'm going to get their license plate so I can call them, have them over for dinner, and we can talk about Jesus together. Like, do that. Like, live lives of worship for God in everything you do. Temptations are going to come. Keep praising Him. So if you are living in darkness, God calls you to living in light. And I want to offer the invitation. If you are living in darkness, come and receive the life that Jesus has to give to you. And it's not a one and done deal. It is, as we were told in Romans, a life of constantly sacrificing for God. But it is so worth it. So if you have a decision to make, Kurt's going to come forward, lead us in a song. And I just encourage you, don't make excuses. Don't miss out on the life that Christ has planned for you. But instead, give your life over to him. Father God, 
You are, again, so good. God, you have called us into this new life with you. God, you have called us out of darkness. And God, for those who have received that, who have responded in faith, God, I thank you for them and the testimonies that they have. We have all walks of life here. We have so many different backgrounds. And God, you have used each one of them for your kingdom. And so God, let us take those testimonies and go and share them with a world that needs to hear them. And then God, for those who have not received, who are not living for you, God, show them that you gave your life on the cross for them so that they could have a new life, a new creation, not defined by their past, but defined by the sacrifice that you made. So God, work on all of our hearts so that we can just be your people. Thank you for the sacrifice you made. Let us not ever forget it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.